much like having a beer in your room in college. I was like, you know what? High Times has always been a publication I would have loved to write for. Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing. This is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome to the conversation. Today we have a special episode with another Decentral member, Stephen Ladden, who you might remember from uh, Decent People episodes where he was the host uh, with great interviews from, uh, with folks like Mac Flavel and Jack Sheehan. We're really excited to announce that uh, Stephen will be uh, having a new podcast under the Decentral Media umbrella called Lights, Camera, Crypto. It's all about where entertainment, uh, film, and TV meet Web3. So he's been interviewing artists and musicians, or sorry, artists and uh, entertainers, uh, as well as folks on the studio side of things to let everyone know how Hollywood is basically coming along with Web3 and where the pain points are and how artists are discovering new communities uh, and new ways to interact with their fans. So that show will be starting this week uh, under the Decentral uh, umbrella. You can find it wherever you find this podcast. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. And just a show note for decent people, uh, we're going to be taking a bit of a break uh, for December and for the holidays and the year end, and we should be back in January. So make sure to keep an eye out for us then, and I hope you have a great day, and let's get to the show. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing, man? Well, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Where uh, where are we talking to you today from? Today, not the normal setup. We're in New Orleans today, or I'm in New Orleans today. Okay. Uh, it's the week uh, after Thanksgiving. Uh, were you there visiting family? Yeah. my uh, Well, somewhat. My girlfriend's family is from New Orleans, so that's uh, where we currently are. And uh, Nice. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a fun little uh, escape from LA for the past couple of days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of LA, I know you're based there now. Uh, is that where you grew up in Southern California? Nope. Grew up in upstate New York, a suburb of Albany. If, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the area, uh, grew up there and then moved to Los Angeles about 13 years ago. So I've been in LA for about 13 years now. Okay, cool. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters? Two, uh, two sisters, yeah, who, who are, uh, one is okay. a uh, junior at Penn State, so, you know, we're a fan of uh, the uh, Lions, if uh, any listeners are as well, and uh, my other the sister. The Lions, that is. Yes, yeah. exactly, and uh, my other sister yeah. is, uh, she works uh, down closer to the city in New York. Okay, cool. So are you the oldest? I am, yeah. Right on. And uh, what, what did your folks do outside of Albany when you were growing up? Growing up, my mom worked as a social worker with uh, within a school district. And she also did some trainings for Cornell. And my dad uh, was working for a marketing advertising company. He ended up starting his own publishing business. And then that spun off into uh where he currently works now uh this bigger media company okay cool yeah um, yeah cornell's gorgeous campus that area around ithaca is just is just magical yeah yeah it's uh 
especially in the fall, the, the, the foliage is just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's the river that goes right through there? Man, is it? I'm, I'm, I'm being a, a bad New Yorker, not remembering. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak and, and yeah, say yeah, no worries, man. It's just that, it's beautiful. That's all we need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Cool. So, um, what were you like as a kid? Were you into sports or science or like right? You're a writer and an interviewer. Like, what? How did that? Was that always something that came easily for you? I think so. I think writing for sure. I think being a personable individual was always something that. I don't think as a kid I'd quantify, but looking back as an adult, you, you know, in this conversation with you right now, it's like, oh yeah, okay. So I guess, unbeknownst to me, having conversations with strangers or people you just met was, I never felt, I always felt comfortable, um, which I think is a skill set to your point in interviewing that, that lends itself nicely. Um, but yeah. as far as a career or anything Did you say like you're that, just naturally curious about people? I think so. Or just life in general. And then when you have a conversation where you're relating to somebody based on the subject matter or, you know, themselves, then yeah, I think understanding people and understanding their story and understanding what they're into, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people love to talk about themselves, don't they? Case in point. What um, we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, did that uh, take you kind of like what, like English major in college, or what was your what was your like idea about what you wanted to do? Um, you know, once you were out of the house and stuff with your parents. So, I was a communication major at the University of Massachusetts uh, Amherst, and sports was really the direction I thought that I wanted to be in. I played baseball growing up. Uh, I loved football. I uh, loved the New York Giants and actually uh, ended up interning for them in their IT department when I was a junior in college. And so for a while, I'd say for three years, three or the four years, I thought sports was the path. And then as you get closer to that uh, graduation timeline, you're thinking more pragmatically, I think, about what it is you want to do. And at that time, 2008, 2009, you know, we were in the midst of a recession. And so I was feeling a lot of pressure from both family and friends to just have a job. And that sort of, for me, was a turning point where I was like, well, I don't want to just have a job. I want to have something that fulfills me, you know, and kind of, it's kind of an interesting story. So around that same time, there's kind of this, this convergence of a lot of different things. I'm a senior at UMass Amherst. I'm trying to think about what am I interested in? And at the time, I had a beer in my apartment pondering this question. And I send out amateurly my resume to, which, you know, had what on it, you know, (laughs) a couple, a couple internships and, you know, nothing to, to all of these um, music management and agent uh, agency companies and again, at that time, I had no idea what a manager was or an agent was or anything like that. But I knew, oh, hey, I'm listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now. Maybe maybe I can work with them. So I send out mm-hmm. 20 or so emails with my resume. Nobody gets back to me, obviously, except for this one company called Silverback Management based in L.A. I end up 
having a call with them and end up promoting their West Coast bands at the time, uh, or still slightly stupid is there. So they, they represent a lot of the Cali Reggae dub bands. And uh, okay. one of their bigger bands back in the day was Sublime, of which I was a huge fan. And so I ended up promoting all of their bands on the UMass Amherst campus. Graduation time comes, and I'm starting to think, well, maybe I could move to LA. At that same time, I had taken a screen earning class, uh, and the one of the EPs on this guy, awesome guy, Mark Wilding, he was an EP on The Ellen Show, he was an EP on Grey's Anatomy. He comes, he's an alum, he speaks to our screen earning class, he's like, hey, if you want to have a career in writing, you can come to Los Angeles, that's where most of the things happen. So I'm like, huh, I already have this music in I know I'm good at writing. I didn't think it was something that you could make a career off of or it had never really dawned on me that, hey, you can pursue this in as a vocation. And so that's kind of how everything culminated for me. And I was like, well, maybe maybe LA is the move. So I, I called up Silverback. I said, hey, if I were to come out here uh, as an intern after school, would there be a spot? And I said, absolutely. So Thus began the trek, and and uh, I figured, all right, at least I'm pursuing my interests across the board here. I can figure out this writing piece, but music will ground me, and that was sort of the how it all started. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're hitting LA for the two things that they really do well, like you know, either music management or music yeah. in general, or or yeah. writing for maybe TV or you know the movies, um, <laughs> uh, and then um, so yeah, that's great, uh, and. And it's funny about being a writer, right? Like, I guess um, I was always a writer as well. And I, but it took me forever to figure out, oh, I could be a journalist, you know, like I could actually make a living here because right. I don't think a lot of people tell you, like, there's a lot of career paths or a lot of, like, like good no. writers are in demand, you know, no matter where you are in whatever field. Because um, most people are, you know, frankly, not good writers. So, uh, <laughs> but it's weird, isn't it? How, no one really tells you those things in college or like it's no. just, you kind of have to find your own path. And I'm, I'm trying to tell people these days, it's like whatever you like, you know, there's a million different things you can do with a college degree. It's not like you have to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, there's just like, there's so many different paths that people I don't think are exposed to. And it's kind of a shame. hundred percent. And you, you think, to, I mean, to your point, exactly people, I find that people are, people, understand the world based on the boxes and the way in which they've been presented the world. So like you're saying for me, and I assume for you too, it's writing didn't seem like a possibility because no one I knew was an established writer or a journalist or anybody, anything like that. You know, you, you watch the news uh, as a kid and it, you don't make the connection that that's someone's getting paid to be on, on that screen or someone's getting paid to have their name in a byline or yeah. like those two things don't compute. So, uh, but perhaps for some who have had that direct experience or, you know, have grew up talking to a parent or a relative or a family friend who was in that field, I think it makes that path a little more tangible. But for a lot of folks, uh, myself included, it, it, yeah, it didn't register that that was something feasible. Yeah. It's weird. Um, even in my professional career, when I'm just talking to people about what I do, like I'm usually the first reporter they've ever met, you know, it's like, wow. there's, there's just not a lot of, I don't know. It's always kind of shocked me, you know, that um, it doesn't seem like, I think maybe reporters are like 
police or firefighters where they all kind of stick together and don't really have a, a wider audience <laughs> like or a wider network. I'm not sure what it is, but <laughs> that there's, yeah, you, you, you think, yeah, you would think we'd be out there, but um, we were just <laughs> all um, hiding at the bar, you know, drowning our sorrows after deadline. Right. Um, so what first impressed me was reading um, your work in High Times, uh, mm. the, the long-form interviews you were doing. Um, how did you come into that gig? I would assume that's once you're in L.A.? Yeah, once I'm in L.A., so this happened, I started writing for them back in 2019, and at that point had, you know, this is, gosh, you know, I'd been in L.A. for 10 years. I had uh, started my official professional career, you know, over at uh, Creative Artists Agency, CAA, and uh, quickly in that system, amazing experience, learned, realized that, you know, being an agent was not anything uh, that I was uh, particularly enthused about. Um, respect the profession, but again, not for me. So that led to uh, you know, working for, uh, did entourage lie to you? <laughs> I think entourage, uh, glorifies a lot of, uh, the, both the good and the, uh, you know, the experiences that, uh, might leave some scars. Uh, but no, honestly, it was a, it was a good, it was a, I enjoyed the experience, um, learned a lot. It was essentially like entertainment grad school. And then from there went to work for uh, a director producer. And from there, uh, ultimately just got into the comedy space and uh, one of the guys who uh, he's still over at High Times uh, now, VP of events, Mark Kasnick, uh, had moved from CA over to High Times. and So much like having a beer in your room in college, I was like, you know what? High Times has always been a publication I would have loved to write for. So I hit up Mark and I said, Mark, uh, I think I could contribute on the interview front. You know, a lot of my friends are comics. They'd love to talk. They love marijuana. Is this something that uh, you guys have an appetite for? And so he put me in touch with the editors. The editors uh, at the time, we had, we had a chat, and uh, that was kind of it. And so we did one, and it's been going ever since. Cool. Um, and then... When did you like so 2019 crypto had been around quite a while? There had been a couple ups and downs. Are you was that in the background for you at that point, or how how did you kind of figure that or how did that come into your life, or who, who turned you on to that? Sure. So, uh, crypto came into my life about 2017. I had left working for uh, the production company I was at and was you know fully all in on writing and, and uh, myself. And at that point, had taken a, a gig to help sort of consult with this new media startup. Uh, this guy uh, had started this company uh, called Bad Mirror, Mar uh, Bad Mirror Television. And what it was supposed to be was sort of a decentralized way of uh, looking at media. Long story short, he needed uh, some promotional content. Uh, so I basically was creating these videos with comics in the LA area that would promote Bad Mirror. And it was basically taking snippets of their bits and putting text to it in sort mm -hmm. of like the upworthy format. And now what's really funny is you look at Instagram, people 
put their, you know, put a bit on Instagram and a comedic bit and, you know, there's text overlaid on it and all that stuff. We did it first at Bad Mirror before that was ever a thing. Well, and obviously before Instagram was ever a thing. So all to say. Too bad you didn't have the reach of Instagram back then. I, right? For real, you know, <laughs> didn't have the reach of Instagram, didn't yeah. have a lot of things at that point. Also didn't have the, the uh, awareness of the potential and the uh, sort of understanding of crypto because at that point I was getting paid uh, from that company in Bitcoin and in Dash. And so that was sort of yeah. my foray. They're like, hey, you can cash this out. And uh, so at the time, you know, it would it paid my rent. Uh, yeah. And I, again, didn't have any other inclination. Forced you how to like learn how to use a wallet and all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, go to yeah, exactly, and, exactly. So, so yeah. got well immersed, but unfortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you can't, it, it, I'm here. So uh, it, it, was definitely the foray, uh, though, and you know, it just was all right. Hey, I guess I have to transfer this coin to this wallet, and then put this to my bank account, and that was kind of it. And then until you know, linking up with uh, Decentral, it was sort of well, and obviously 2020, and you know, I did a little bit of trading there, but uh, didn't really fully understand the magnitude of of Web three uh, until I'd say the past couple of years just as an aside what are um some of your favorite comedy clubs in la for people if they want to check them out oh man i mean the the big ones most people would r recognize are the hollywood improv comedy store uh laugh factory you know are, are, are definitely the big ones but if you live on the west side west side comedy theater is is always a solid time and uh you know the venice underground if uh you live over there too is is another good one yeah, cool. Just just in case people want to support live shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously what we're here to talk about today is uh, your new show, Lights, Camera, Crypto. Uh, yeah. You started helping us out originally with Decent People, and um, I'm mm -hmm. sure listeners have heard many of your episodes that you did. And then we decided to kind of branch out and give you your own show that focuses on how Web3 and blockchain are being implemented or experimented with in the film and television kind of entertainment world. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that. What's that been like um, talking to people? Like what's the, um, what's your kind of 30,000 foot view right now of how that's going and what are some interesting things that folks are using Web3 for in, in the classic entertainment, you know, sense that we all know? Sure. So, We'll break that question down into two parts, the more artistic lens and then sort of the business side of things. And, you know, for those who haven't heard the show, uh, Lights, Camera, Crypto focuses on sort of both of those viewpoints from artists themselves. And so interviews with artists themselves and then also more executive types uh, to, to kind of get a balanced understanding of how Web3 is being applied, what people are using it for, what they are vision for it is and, and how that all circulates around the arts. Uh, for artists, I would say building community has been the biggest uh, takeaway for, for most of them. Uh, whether it's a photographer branching out and creating NFTs or a filmmaker finding uh, a specific niche of people that resonate with their work. And, and sometimes a lot of the case, there's a lot of overlap between filmmakers and photographers. Web3 has provided a sort of outlet for their work that traditional media, say film and television as we know it, 
there were more filters, there were more factors, uh, more barriers to entry for people to access, access that work. And what they've communicated is that Web3 has, has cult- helped them cultivate people who are either like-minded or who really support their work. And then that has led sort of a feedback loop back to more traditional film and television. So it's in many ways helped grow yeah. their audiences and, and uh, allow people to connect around their art that they, you know, that otherwise wouldn't have been able to. So um, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like when you take out the, like, let's say a movie studio from the equation mm-hmm. and now it's a filmmaker and they like, Previously, what the, the studio wanted to do was monetize that by, you know, selling tickets at the theater or, you know, all, like, you know, they're going, they're just like, here's our product, you know, audience, like come by, you know, access to our product. But when you remove that studio and you've got the filmmaker going directly to fans, now a whole new, like, that's the real interesting relationship. And, the you know, the fans want access to Julie Pacino or whoever we're talking about, you know, and, and so... Like you're saying, that community um, is now can flourish because in the previous system, the the studios had no like reason for, to do that in the kind of process of making the product, right? Like, but now the whole sort of process making is open, and you can kind of like interact with fans and and supporters and all these different steps that were sort of like cut off, like you're alluding to, and sort of like you know. Uh, the way that it was always traditionally done. So I, I find that really interesting and, and must be, like you're saying, pretty liberating for people who or for artists who had been working under that studio system to now have like direct access and to their fans who also, you know, want to help them make their projects. I, I think that's what's really kind of fascinating here. Yeah. And and the other element to that is the some some folks, you know, who who perhaps didn't have that community or or uh, cultivated interest around their work for whatever reasons, and, and there's, there's numerous, suddenly now have that popularity and then can bring that back to the system that was perhaps a little less uh, open to, you know, different ideas than they'd seen in the past. And so now you're finding, like you mentioned with the with the Jews of the world, folks who are, are really tapping into uh, this broader network of folks who support their art and then having that momentum and steam come back to the traditional forums and, and saying, Hey, actually look, like I know maybe my, my ideas weren't, uh, understood to the capacity that they needed to be. Well, here's a ton of people who get it and understand it and, you know, what can we do with it? So I, I think it's, um, it's also changing the way in, in a way to what you're saying in the same way that the system, you know, the, the filters and everything are, are being reconfigured, uh, with, with the types of communities that are coming through. So too are the way in which artists and their supporters are interacting with traditional film and TV, you know? So it's, it's, I don't think we're closing one door and opening another. I think the doorway is changing. The paths are changing. If that makes sense. How is the industry reacting to this? Are they um, are they slow to it, do you think? Or are they catching up? Or how would you kind of characterize where they think this might help their business? Are they feeling threatened by some of the big, you know, entertainers now having this option to kind of go around them? Well, I think it's it's there's a couple different facets on that side. 
first being, I think there's a lot of opportunity that people are, are, are thinking about in terms of the way contracts predominantly are, are initiated and, and put forth, particularly uh, with music and royalties uh, and stuff like that. With respective film and television specifically, I think same thing, branding is being thought about in a different way. You know, before you might have a film and you might have licensing from that film and then you might have some action figures if it's, say, a big Marvel movie and, you know, now all of that is being thought about in terms of, well, wait, if people could own a piece of this film, what does it mean for all of that type of stuff? So the biggest sort of uh, area in which on the, on the executive front that seems to be uh, most thought about at the moment are, are how, how are contracts going to be reimagined? What are we going to see in the next five years in terms of contracts? Uh, and, 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 how is that going to change sort of the landscape a little bit as far as ad, you know adoption i don't think we're seeing you know critical mass at any point right now from from any of the studios or or anything like that i i know a lot of agency a lot of the agencies uh have you know nft and crypto departments and are slowly figuring out how to monetize that area of their business but as far as you know, studios becoming on board or coming on board and starting something revolutionary, uh, a little bit of a more uh, a slower moving train, as you can imagine. Yeah. And I, I can imagine a couple of things you made me think of was it's shocking that the, you know, the suits are thinking about contracts and how to like, you know, monetize this stuff or like get it in, you know, it's like, that's, I guess that's their job. I guess that's maybe why they're, yeah. they're the suits. And then, um, the other thing is the uh, just um, uh, well, yeah, and I, it, I lost my train of thought. But um, what I was going to ask is, have there been any guests or, or folks that have like kind of you know um, introduced you to something that you didn't know about or, or that stand out in your mind uh, with the the interviews you've done so far? I think the the biggest thing is the parallel between those in crypto and web three and, and whether an artist or an executive and sort of the people that I've interviewed outside of the podcast is just the universality of people leaning into themselves, I think is a really, again, I think it kind of goes beyond crypto. It's, it's this idea that you brought up at the beginning of our conversation now where it's hard for people to kind of pursue a path whatever it may be, uh, if they don't know that it's a path. And so for a lot of the people I've spoken to uh, for, for these, for Lights, Camera, Crypto, becoming exposed to Web3 and cryptocurrency and blockchain and all of this new technology, I think was the first step for a lot of these folks to then understand, oh, I too can take my art and figure out how to apply it to this space and build a community and that I think was really cool uh, through for, and again, yeah. it, it, in terms of specifics, again, not to harp on her, but uh, Julie Pacino again did, when you listen to that episode, it's, she explains it quite beautifully in, in kind of how we were doing it before, where we're talking about it before, where uh, there was some disconnect in terms of the art she was creating. She got introduced to Web3, put her photography out there, extremely well received. And then just kept 
moving forward and and deep getting deeper and deeper into the world and um yeah i think and that's, for anyone who's that's curious really, her last name is is the same pacino you're thinking of so yes exactly <laughs> um, exactly and the thing that i i, I forgot to there that i spaced out on was i think you know entertainment is pretty famously conservative so i'm sure they're looking at um what's going on right now in crypto like with blowups like ftx and sure. voyager and all these things that are just, you know, kind of coming uh, seemingly every week, and they're probably like, you know, uh, we don't really want to be, they don't want to be ensnared. Uh, it's too that, dangerous. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, our reputation is going to get smeared, or, you know, we're going to get, you know, like tagged or, with these folks. So hopefully that's, you know, um, that's an industry-wide problem that I hope kind of gets cleared up um, as things move on. Um, but... All right, Stephen, this has been awesome. Um, so yeah, your show is Lights, Camera, Crypto. It's it's about where entertainment meets Web3. Uh, we're going to start putting these out uh, weekly. And so everybody uh, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be under the Decentral Media kind of podcast um, family. And so anywhere you get this podcast, you'll be able to get Lights, Camera, Crypto. Uh, Stephen, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you if they want to reach out to you? Sure. Uh Instagram, Twitter are the easiest ways at Sladdin. So it's uh, like Aladdin, but with an S, S-L-A-D-D-I-N uh, on Twitter and Instagram are the easiest. And then always the traditional website, uh, Uh I'll be there. All right. Excellent, man. We can't wait to start putting these out and uh, we're all very excited. So thanks for the time uh, and Thank you for everyone for listening to this edition of uh, Decent People. That's it for this episode of Decent People. We are produced by Matt Solon. Music is courtesy of Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. Take care. <laughs>